1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fresh for your ears, tell everybody. The new podcast from the producers of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days comes the eclectic. Interviews with difference makers, artists, authors, bold thinkers, people we love who get stuff done. The Eclectic is produced by Donnie L. Best and No Credits Production, LLC. We hope you enjoy. Aisha Ahmad Post. Aisha is the Executive Director of the Robert and Judy Newman Center for the Performing Arts at the University of Denver. Previously, she was the inaugural director of Center for the Arts at the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs, and producer of public programs at the New York Public Library. Next up, I'm the collected, Aisha Ahmad Post.
2: My name is Aisha Ahmad Post. My mother's name is Bushra Ahmad. Uh, my maternal grandmother's name uh, was Tasneem Khan. Um, my paternal grandmother's name was Catherine Post, and I grew up in uh, Tucson, Arizona, on the um, the lands of the Tohono O'odham and Hopi and many other indigenous um,
1: groups. Beautiful. Thank you, because we are in Colorado in the land of the, the Utes and many other and uh, native indigenous people who inhabit this land before we step foot on it. So let's start with a little bit about else about your background. I understand you're a classically trained musician. What instrument Mm -hmm. or instruments do you play?
2: (laughs) Well, I would say that um, I'm a recovering classical musician. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, um, you know, I I grew up playing the piano. Um, My mom always wanted to play piano and um, she thought it was, you know, fundamental to, Uh, a person's education and so we all started piano I started I begged for lessons um and so I started when I was really young um and then um (laughs) you're gonna laugh but uh I was nine or ten and my dad um started playing uh Charles Mingus uh Mingus. Um Mm. and I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever heard in my tiny little life so um I would just sit there and uh color and listen and listen, I, I mean, over and over again. And so I said, Dad, I really want to play the bass. And everybody started laughing and, you know, cause I was four foot six and, you know, <laughs> um, like, you know, didn't weigh a whole lot either. And uh, so, but anyway, so I started playing bass and um, um, I, I did play jazz, but then I, you know also did classical and uh, ended up auditioning for music school as a double bass performance major. Um, but all those years ended up hurting my back And so I re-auditioned at Indiana to be a piano performance major. So ultimately, my degree was in piano, um, but I never really saw myself becoming, you know, a concert pianist. That's a whole other level of commitment. Um, And uh, but yeah, so I sort of I I played I played both of those instruments for a long time.
1: That's awesome. That's a great story. You know, (laughs) there's a great uh, bassist here uh, who is classically and also jazz musician you may have heard of, Charles Burrell,
0: who kind, yes. of, kind
1: of started off the same way. He said he went into his, his class um, and he wanted to play an instrument. And the instructor told him, well, we've got a bass over there. He said, okay, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that, you know. So he put it into his wagon and, and, and rode it home, you know, there in Detroit. So, uh, you know, people Not started hoping. all kind of different ways, you know. So I think that's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'm glad yeah. that your, your parents were encouraging you to do that because it's so important.
2: Oh, I mean it was actually I would say it was one step beyond encouragement to mm. the no you will play piano <laughs> and when you leave my house you can decide what else you want to do with yourself.
1: There you go. There you go. This is,
2: but this, yeah. is <laughs> this is what you're doing now. This is what you're doing now. This is going to help you arts arts and math and or math and music and and athletics, right? My mom was very taken with this notion of, you know, Greek um the Greeks and, and, and where music should be as part of a person's upbringing.
1: Well, I'm with her on that. So I'm trying to do the same with my grandson. So, excuse me. So you started it this way. So when and why did you decide to move into arts management?
2: You know, yeah, I don't, there was a few different threads there. One was that, you know, I found myself, I mean, I've always been sort of uh, um, motivated, you know, I love to talk to people. I love talking to people. I love connecting. And um, that always brought me a lot of joy. And so, you know, I found myself sort of organizing the student committee and being on a number of committees at the university, um, you know, at the Jacobs School of Music and, you know, performance committees and orchestra committees and all those things. Um, You know, and then I I had a summer job as a box office uh, employee at Interlochen, and I had been on the board of directors for the Tucson Jazz Society as a kid, um, as sort of their student liaison. So I'd always sort of had this um, knack, I guess, or, you know, willingness or interest in in how things were being governed and who was making those decisions and why. Um, And then... I, you know, I I changed over to piano. I knew I wasn't going to be a pianist. Um, I got a degree in poli-sci and decided I didn't want to go to law school after all. And um, I I ended up going to grad school for music theory. And three days into it, I called my mom. I was like, Mom, I've made a huge mistake. She goes, I know. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> she goes, but you're going to you're gonna make your bed and lie in it now, so yeah, uh, you're going to get that degree. Um, and so I thought, well, shoot, what am I going to do now? And um, I was talking to my friend about, you know, I'd heard that there was this whole field of arts administration. I said, you know, maybe I'd want to do that. And um, she was a ballet dancer. The ballet teacher overheard us and said, well, you know, my, my son does arts admin in New York. Maybe you could go work for him. Um, and so she called him and set up an internship. And so the next thing I knew, um, I was working for Columbia Artist Management. And um, I walked in and this guy, Sean Shock, says, on, you know, he doesn't know me from Adam. He sits me down in his office. He goes, well, what do you, what do, you do? And I was like, well, I play the piano. He says, OK, cool. Well, um, I'm arranging a tour for Long Long and Herbie Hancock, and we need 10 double piano concertos. Can you put together a list? And I said, actually, yes, I can. <laughs> mm. So I did. And um, they thought that was cool. And then from there, um, the next thing I knew, I ended up getting a full-time job with them and the rest is kind of history. Wow.
1: Wow. Going to that door when it was open and able to stay in there and take a seat at the table. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. I mean, it's fantastic. See, the, see, your mom and the piano, everything pays off, right?
2: That's it. You know, I mean, and again, I think she was just sort of like, oh, wow, are you, are you making does it have health insurance? Okay, great. You know,
1: <laughs> parents <laughs> so, practical.
2: <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but you know, it was so funny because I just like I found myself just pinching myself over and over again. Like, what do you mean you're paying me to do this? I mean, mm. this is something I would do so naturally anyway. Yes. You know, and then you know, being able to to think about building connections between the musicians I was working with or the dancers and you know, corporate sponsors and education, all these things. It was like, I, I finally was able to find a way to talk about the things I loved. And it just, it truly felt natural.
1: Now you worked at the Columbia artist management group. And then get <clears throat> later, did you move to the Barrett uh, Vanguard? Oh, um, uh, uh, Barrett, Barrett Vantage. Vantage artists. Uh, Cause I know they're, they have, a tremendous roster. So I know that's going to serve you well in what you, what you've done in the past and what you will do in the future.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and so it was so important, um, to have that experience in sales and booking and understanding how tours work. Right. Um, you know, I have to confess, I liked the production side a lot better than the sales side. I don't Mm -hmm. love sales. Um, But um, it was it was really good training because it helped me to get a map of, you know, who's doing what in this industry and where, Um, you know, I got to meet a lot of great people who I still stay in touch with. And, um, you know, honestly, it was such a high stress situation that it kind of became this uh, this sort of baptism by fire and um, ended up with a lot of very strong friendships coming out of there, you know, folks who are still you know who came to my wedding, and um, you know were have just been influential my whole life. So I think there's something to really be said for that. As as crazy as that experience was, and as um, stressful as it was, um, it was a it was an interesting opportunity, and I'm really glad I had it. Um, you know, when I was that age and still had the <laughs> had yeah, the fire
1: to do it like that, right. and the passion because <laughs> <laughs> it takes that it takes a lot of energy when you're doing that. Helen, oh of- yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And being a tour manager or, like, being on the road and touring, I mean, like, that's mm. a that's a crazy lifestyle. That is a tough way to live.
1: Yes, yes. yeah. Take, many people think it's very glamorous, but it's, it's not. It probably has its moments, but I would imagine it's a lot more work than glam, glamour.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there are some moments where it's like, wow, look at where we are. But honestly, half the time, you know, you have to look at the sign in the airport to figure out which airport you're in. <laughs>
1: Got you. Got you. But like I said, being there, being all excited about this type of work and being a tour manager, when did you decide to take that n- another step to the, maybe the nonprofit sector?
2: Um, you know, it wasn't as um, linear as all of that. Okay. Um, so, you know, I – so unfortunately, Bear Advantage um, – that was a former iteration of that company. Um, and ended up going under or was about to go under. Um, and I knew I needed to be able to pay rent cause that's, you know, the first rule of living in New York, right? You gotta pay rent. <laughs> yes. So, um, and so I had a friend who, uh, was a trumpet, um, player from Juilliard and she had decided to leave the industry and she was going to go to law school. Um, And I was looking for a job. She says, you know, they need a paralegal. Maybe you can just take over my paralegal gig over here. And so sure enough, I did. I ended up working, um, for this white shoe law firm company, uh, down on wall street. And, um, that was interesting, uh, you know, because it was around the time that, like, Bernie Madoff was happening mm, and, okay. uh, you know, there was, like, all this, like, crazy international arbitration stuff and Zuccotti Park and Occupy Wall Street was happening at that time. And, yes. you know, my my roommate uh, at the time was one of the original organizers for Occupy Wall Street. And, you know, wow. so we would take the subway together and we'd be like, have a nice day, dear. And so, like, he'd go to Zuccotti <laughs> Park and I would go <laughs> work for the man. <laughs> Um, and you know, it was just like, I mean, you know, I wasn't really happy there, but you know, at least I was able to pay my, pay my rent and figure out what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting, um, I was searching for a job and, um, this job at the New York Public Library came across my desk and, uh, I I went and applied. Um, and you know, it was so funny, everything's so connected in this industry, right? The, um, vice president for development at the New York Public Library, who who hired me, had worked at the New York City Opera and was an opera singer. And so she knew, she understood where I was coming from, you know, with my training and my professional experience. She said, oh, you'd be perfect for running public programs and dealing with all of these artists and authors and, you know, major speakers coming through because you know how to handle that. Um And so I ended up being there for a long time and that was awesome. Um, It was not in the performing arts. um, So I wasn't at the library for the performing arts. I was at the main branch on 42nd Street. And it was just like this unbelievable um, um, just like way to learn all of contemporary English and American literature. Um, through meeting the authors, getting to know them and then deciding in a roundabout way, if I wanted to read their book on, you know, based on <laughs> what their conversation was like mm, at the library, okay. um, which is just like a really like pretentious way to like choose your, your reading list, but there it is. Um, and, uh, but it was great. I mean, I got, and I just got to hear so many people I and mean, Brian Stevenson and, um, you know, Tony Morrison with Junot Diaz and, uh, margaret atwood and carl hyacinth i mean just like you Mm -hmm. name it and anybody exactly yeah anybody and everybody but also you know we'd had jesse norman we had madeline albright we had it didn't matter i mean if you were of you know if you had something to say and you really wanted to make your point you know you your publicist if they were worth it you know would book you at the library um and so then it was like this kind of amazing thing. And so I just got to see this wide swath of the population. And then, you know, there was also that deep community engagement because the library really is this third space. Right.
1: Gotcha.
2: Um, and so you would see, and actually right when I started, Hurricane Sandy hit mm. New York. Wow. Right. So everybody was without power and, you know, we were, we were out of the office for a week and, um, yeah, I just remember like they were asking everybody to go to the branch libraries, and you know people were just lining up to use the charging stations and um, you know, just have access to heat. and um, so it was a really interesting moment to sort of see, you know, what a building can be beyond the thing you thought it was for. And I think that was really uh, transformational for
0: me. This episode is brought to you by com. Well, just
1: <clears throat> talking about that now, Hurricane Sandy, you're looking at now what is happening in 2020 with the pandemic. Mm. Um, is that any way, can you see a parallel that preparing you for it, what you're going to go through and what you what you have gone through now with your new position there at the uh, Robert and Julie Newman Performing Arts Center?
2: No, that's really interesting, actually. Um, certainly it was a moment where there was that quick pivot you know, and just, okay, well, how do we meet the moment? And what is our role in this, right? Um, And I think that that was a really interesting time to be there. You know, I remember we were supposed to have our our big, you know, multi-million dollar gala. We ended up donating all the food. And, you know, like I said, there was all of that. But I think also, you know, it's funny, I remember feeling so anxious about wanting to go back to work. And that was after just a week, you know, because the subways weren't running and, um, everything was just sort of shut down. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think there was a little bit of that, um, but it in no way could have, I don't think anything could have prepared me for, you know, the pandemic. Yes. Um, Cause that just felt, you know, there was the initial sort of like, okay, well we're just going to have to react and we're going to find a way for everybody to work from home. Right. But what I wasn't prepared for was the length of time and the lack of knowing how long it was going to be. Yes. Yeah. I think that was the part that was really hard and watching how individual artists um, were so disproportionately impacted compared to those of us who are privileged enough to have institutions backing them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then how do those individual artists react to that? Like you said, use the word pivot, which is, became the word of 2020 pivoting uh, for institutions, individuals, and so on and so forth. And, and I, I wanted you to kind of like, I know there's no real comparison to a hurricane or natural disaster as a pandemic, because like you said, there are so many unknowns and there continue to be so many unknowns, you know, as you Mm -hmm. move, as we move forward now in 2021 and trying to gear ourselves back up to open ourselves back up to the arts. um, What do you see that, that, that next chapter might be though in the latter part of 2021, 2022, when it comes to programming and helping individual artists and so on and so forth?
2: Gosh, that's a great question. You know, because I think, I've been thinking a lot. um, I mean, the individual artists are one thing. I mean, I think my, you know, obviously my, my commitment right now is to the contracts that we have existing with folks and making sure that we try to honor that in some way, shape or form in the next couple of years as, as touring allows. But I keep thinking about the shuttered venues grant and I keep thinking about, you know, the 16 billion dollars that were approved by Congress in December. And we're over 150 days since that was passed and nobody's gotten any money yet, you know. Right. And the Restaurant Association had the same process through the same um, government bureaucracy and uh, they've already gotten money. And so I keep thinking about that frustration and I keep thinking about, you know, how, (laughs) how many people lost their livelihoods and and I worry about the brain drain, to be honest with you. Um, I think it's going to have ramifications that you and I probably won't even really fully understand until we're five, 10 years down the road and, you know, sipping a glass of wine outside together and sort of thinking about it Um, because you know, it's the it's the brain drain of people coming out of production. It's, you know, all of these people who built infrastructure into video and rethinking that piece. It's bringing audiences back together. It's meeting you know, the racial justice um, movement and, and thinking about how we continue to move that forward. Um, I mean, there's so many things that have just fundamentally been transformed by this that at the micro and macro that I think... We will try to go back to normal, but quote unquote, but I don't know, I don't know what that means. And I think we're going to, continue to feel like we're just sort of surfing this wave for a long time. And I keep, I keep having that conversation with my staff and with our rental clients, right? They want us to say, okay, effective September 1st, you will have 100% capacity and no masks and everybody's going to be hunky-dory and they're definitely going to be willing to come back. I don't have those answers, right? Like I don't, I, if I did, I would be making, you know, Tony Fauci would be calling me on the regular, but yeah. I don't, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> so like, um, So, you know, I think that that uncertainty will continue to be part of our process, Um, which I think is a really interesting thing. And it's tough. It's a tough sell to staff and to donors and to audiences and artists who are so hungry to get back to the way things were. But let's be real, the way things were was broken. (laughs)
1: I'm post uh, the executive director of Robert and Julie Newman Center for the Performing Arts at the University of Denver in Colorado. And we we'll continue our conversation. You brought up the fact about all uh, the racial uh, protests that happened in the summer of 2020. Now, this is an event events that have been building for many, many years and continues to go on. Uh, what things that happened with or Taylor, George Floyd, Devon A. Bailey, down in Colorado Springs, Elijah McLean, mm-hmm. here in Aurora, where I live. Um, and so that was this big movement uh, and, and powerful letters and powerful coalitions of, of artists of color. Uh, because we see you, white theaters. Mm-hmm. And you work in management. And so one of those things that they wanted to address in their demands was, how institutions deal with management, just not on the people that you see on stage, but what happens behind the scenes, management, and there's more equity equity in people of color being represented. What's your commitment to those changes?
2: Mm. You know, that's a really good question. I mean, I think one of the things that I thought a lot about and that I've thought a lot about in my career Is this very strange place I feel like I'm in where, because of my skin color and my name, somehow I'm supposed to have some answer (laughs) about how to do this? And I feel like an kind of a weird space to be in because I feel like I don't have all of the answers and I think that that's probably where people should start I think there's you know some humility that comes with this because so much of it is about learning you know and the experience that you know my indigenous brothers and sisters have is a different one from the black American experience Mm -hmm. It's different from what we're seeing happen to older Asian Americans, which is different from what's happening on the border. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think certainly, you know, beyond the platitudes of, you know, we're going to have a more inclusive hiring process. We're going to, you know, commit to a certain amount of, you know, Um, performances by black and brown and marginalized groups right it's like how do you sit down and actually use your privilege to listen and be guided by people who know more than you and I think that that's the most important thing I can do as a leader is to build that space and to build that humility within my staff and within myself to listen and to respond to what people are saying um And I really think it's important to be specific to your location, right? This is one of the things I have really come to realize is that um, though racism and and injustice is systemic, there is also an added layer of what happens at the local level, right? So those you talked about Elijah McClain, you talked about Devon Bailey, um, but we also have to reckon with what racist structures exist within Colorado and our racist history within Colorado and start from those places, right? And I know that the University of Denver is um, is is starting to do that work through, you know, the John Evans report and sort of building to that and, um, you know, bringing more Indigenous leaders into conversations around what we're going to do um, and how to do better. Um, and so I think that I want to be guided by the specific local history of where we are um, influence conversation and find ways within our programming to be specific and actionable um, because big, big societal change happens one step at a time, which is frustrating, right? Yes. And,
1: <laughs> what? you know, I, I, Go yes, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, no, I don't want
2: any. I was didn't just going to say, you know, I often, I, I also think about the fact that, you know, I am new to Colorado and Denver, and you know, before that, Colorado Springs, and so I think, you know, that that conversation and building those those um, relationships and showing up and being willing to do that work is really important. Um, and so that's where I've been trying to lead my staff and start to have those conversations and start to build that. Um, Resiliency and willingness to be in those tough conversations for the long run.
1: I think you brought up a very uh, great point that people sometimes miss, and that is the fact that you have to be a very good listener. In order for any kind of change to happen, you have to listen. And I think <clears throat> probably you, like me, you know because of the complexion that we are, people are looking for us for answers, but you got to look within. For your own answers is what I tell people, and and people reach out to me and say, you know, what can I do? What can I do first? Like I said, look, look, look within to see what work that you need to do, that you haven't been doing, that you can do. <laughs> Um, you can decide what you want to be. You know, you can be an ally or what, whatever you decide you want to be. You have to decide that for yourselves. Um, so, and you're absolutely right. It takes a great conversation. It takes hard work. And it's, it's going to be done overnight because this was not done overnight. This whole construct was not built overnight. So it's not going to be dismantled overnight as well, too. And by starting locally, right. because that's one of the questions I had, too, uh, I brought up your background because you have such an international reach, the question is, how when it comes to programming and, and, and audiences and things like that, how do you plan to balance the the Colorado audience what they need to what they need to have to support their local Colorado artists? How do you balance that? Because I know mm-hmm. uh, the Newman Center and other uh, and institutions like that have to just because of physical needs they need to bring in those huge names and that kind of stuff so they can get the audience to support the local artists so how do you plan to do that balance mm. well
2: you're asking some good questions here <laughs> well thank you <laughs> <laughs> They're really important ones. no it's I, I'm, I'm laughing because I literally have been having this conversation um, we're writing our strategic plan and I've been thinking um I just feel like you've been like listening in on my conversations because it's like <laughs> that is the thing I've been I've been trying to figure out that is the essence of what we need to do, um, and I keep coming back to this mission that I think I mean this is an official but you know we'll workshop it you know with you and your audience here that you know that the mission of the Newman Center should be to uplift Denver artists and audiences through that connection with the, what's happening in the country and the world right yes. that that. Yes. International conversation builds that local uh, diversity and um you know fertilizes the ecosystem, right? Um and so I've been thinking a lot about the role that we can play um with building access to the use of the venue, right? So
1: beautiful.
2: One thing we've heard a lot about was um, you know, people love the Newman Center. It plays a really important part in the city and county of Denver people love to do their work there and at times it's out of reach for groups. Yes. So what can we do financially? How can we fundraise? How can we invest? How can we restructure our conversations to help, um, in a, in a, you know, specific way to make sure that there's more equity and access to the building? Um, you know, while also balancing the need to, you know, pay my staff and keep the lights on. Right. But yeah, right, right. What do we? How can we do a better job with that? Um, I'm piloting a program this summer, actually, um, with a Colorado-based artist. Um, we're offering a space residency, so access to the space for free, mm. working with our our production team um, to help with a commission that's due for next year, right? And so thinking Beautiful. about different ways to be part of the commissioning process beyond you know here's five thousand bucks go write something right right how can you be a better part how can you be more active in the commissioning process um so that's something i've been thinking about um and then i'm also thinking about the way that we really engage with community and what those you know because all too often um it's such a passive conversation mm-hmm. right where you have uh, um you know Artist comes in from on high, goes out to school, does a presentation and leaves. Yes. Like, who does that really serve? Correct. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Great
1: point. Yes. Uh,
2: you know, and so I'm trying to think about that. So I think our community engagement is going to be more centered in K to 12 education, um, because I think if you can really build those connections with the schools and with the children in the schools, you can build those connections to community. Um, but we can't do everything all at once, right? We have right. to be strategic. Um, and uh, so I think that that's where we have the option to really um, get some real uh, uh, dividends on our investment, you know? So that's that. where I'm yes. starting to think about that. Yeah. So those are where I think I'm going to be spending more money and effort um, to to fundraise and um, to build up those
1: programs. Beautiful. I've seen the power of <clears throat> that collaborating with uh, educational institutions has has been for arts institution and I've been an arts educator myself too. It's always very important. the The couple of shows that I did at the Newman Center um, in 2019 had a focus on education too because they were even though there were powerful audio d- dramas that dealt with police shootings and that sort of thing, our most powerful show I felt was when we brought in a youth audience and the best questions that we had were from the youth that came. Um, So I know, You know, and they were so well served by that. You know, and also they get very excited when they see someone that looks like them on stage. They (laughs) get very very excited when they see someone who can take that ticket that looks like them. They get very excited when they have an opportunity to say, "Well, I could do that too. I could write that." You know, yes, I could. I could run this institution too. You know, when they see someone like you, Um, so I think that's very important too. I mean, I know you know it can be a cliche or whatever the case may be, but it goes a long ways. So I'm um, glad to see that that's going to be a lot of your focus. So,
2: yeah. Well, let's see how it goes. It's one thing to write it. It's another right.
1: thing to, put on to practice. Execution.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: It's, yes, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's <laughs> going to work out. It's going to work out. You know, you have to, like I said, you have to listen first, you know, then you have to put it pen to paper, you know, or keyboard, yep. keystroke to keystroke, and then it's executing. And then you just kind of yep. go from there, you know, because you you can only do so much. That's the way I look at it. You can only do so much, so, right? Yeah, you right. Can do so much. It's been a real pleasure to speak with you, and Aww, I'm so what excited. The
2: whole yeah,
1: so <laughs> excited. We had a chance to do this, and I hope we can do it again too. Like I said, one of these days we'll have that glass of wine and sitting out in the in the yard mm. somewhere and um, have these conversation and and try to save the world through arts. You know?
2: I think so, that's a great plan. Yeah. If somebody's going to do it, it should
1: be us. <laughs> there you go. I, I appreciate you. So, again, thank you for being a guest on Destination Freedom Black Radio Days and maybe somewhere down the line, K G and KGNU. So I can give a little space so I can edit that in. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, all right, thank you, and we will be in touch. And um, give the folks out there and uh, your staff, I think I know a few of them, my best okay
2: i will i will thank you so much for thinking of me um and uh yeah i i really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you um Alrighty. you take it okay care. yeah you do the same bye-bye
1: Bye. thank you for listening to the eclectic the eclectic is produced by donnie Benz and no credits production llc the series is remixed by marie smith Please subscribe to our podcast at Spotify, Radio Public, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook at NoCreditsProductionLLC.com, Instagram, on Twitter at Donny Betts, or The Eclectic The Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Donny Betts.